Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 203. I'm your host, Eric Moore. With me today is Mike Puck, Director of Business Development at Zega Financial. His first time on the program. Mike, how are you doing today? Good, Derek. Thanks for having me. Excited to uh, listen or excited to speak with your viewers. Well, you'll listen to it too, I assume at some point, but I know I wanted to have you on because you and I were having some conversations about sort of this idea of value versus growth and growth having its run. And is this the start for value? And I think that's a good starting point because look, I mean, we look at a, a value stock and by the way, I mean, maybe we'll get to this in a little bit, but Meta, I think is listed in some value screens now. Amazon is listed in some value screens and those companies have come down quite a bit. When we think about a value stock, it's really, it's a fundamental basis. And normally value investors, they have a number of things. They might use enterprise value. They might use price to book. Uh, they look at intrinsic value, discounted cash flows, all those types of things. Values tend to have you know, higher dividends. And when we look at growth, I mean, growth is, hence the name, they tend to have a lot more of a, a multiple, multiple meaning what investors are willing to pay, how many times future sales is that. But what's interesting, Mike, and I'll, I'll kind of ask you this, you, you did some work recently and you took a look at some of the data and there are these periods that growth outperforms value and then it flips. And so take us through kind of where we are now, but also where we've been, I mean, what are you seeing as far as the periods or the timeframes of this overperformance of value? Yeah, so, you know, that's that's a really good point. And, and I think there, there's plenty of data out here on this that you can find. But uh, what I think is that when you look at the big picture, and there's plenty of charts on this, and they go back, you know, back to the 50s or back to the 80s, what you can see is that there's these big periods where value's in favor, and then growth's in favor, and then value, and then growth, and value, and growth, and so on. So they, they basically switch back and forth. Um, and you can almost, I don't want to say time it, but you can predict with a high degree of certainty um, where the market's going, right? You'll see it in this, this phase for a number of years, uh, let's say a growth phase, and then you'll see it shift to a value phase. So if you go back to 1984 uh, to 1991, we were in a big value phase. Um, value just was the outperformer over that period. Uh, and that was kind of before tech started to get hot and exciting. And then when we shifted into the early 90s, into 2001, that was a major growth phase, right? We saw um, growth really outperform. And a lot of those companies were tech companies, right? I've heard you talk a lot on the podcast about the dot-com bubble, things like that. Well, leading up to the dot-com bubble was a major major uh, growth phase where growth did particularly well. So right after that, uh, when the dot-com bubble burst and everyone talks about the next 10 years and the lost decade, well, yes, that happened, but actually value did particularly well from 2001, 2008, nine, somewhere in that time frame. And if you were to shift your portfolio completely, and, and I'm not making a recommendation to do this, but if you were to just shift completely towards growth or completely towards value, well, value investors actually did pretty well during the last decade. Um, and what I think is really interesting about this is these phases typically last like five to six years. Um, and sometimes a little shorter, they can last two, three years. 
But the dot-com bubble was this big seven, eight-year period where value was in favor. So it was an extended time frame of when value did good. The interesting thing that happened right after 2008, beginning in 2009, is we shifted away from value and over to this uh, big growth market that actually lasted 14 years. So 2008, 2009, you know, that's we know that tech really started to take off at that time frame, right? That's when Apple and Amazon, and Google, Facebook, things like that were starting to get hot. Those stocks did particularly well. And we've just had this really long growth run for 13, 14 years. You know, we're coming into 2001, or excuse me, to 2021. And, uh, you know, growth just did particularly well. Well, what we're seeing now is a little bit more of a shift. And, you know, if you look at last year and even the year before is, you know, growth hasn't been uh, a really top performer. We've seen more value um, in the past couple of years. So value seems to be starting to shift back in favor. I think one of the things to point out too to to everyone listening is that I think you know value and growth can both do well together. It's not like one is up and one is down, but it's this relative performance. And you, we do have these periods now. I do wonder whether this extended run, really since two thousand eight, two thousand twenty-two, where the big tech firms outperform, part of the reason I think is because of interest rates. I mean, if you're doing a discounted cash flow valuation, that's what a lot of value investors do. They're looking at cash flows. And some of these older, you know, mature companies, they produce a lot of cash flows. They're sort of machines. Well, when you have higher rates, you discount those, ca those future cash flows down. And if you have a growth company, growth has a little bit more of duration. I mean, normally you think about durations in the bond market. But growth companies tend to pay lower dividends. They may have less cash flows. I mean, it's all uh, not kind of really more of a generalization. But Mike, I mean, don't you think that interest rates are at work here? I mean, you look at the 1970s and, you know, I know some of the research may not have the 1970s on there, but I know the 1970s value stocks did pretty well, right? Yeah, so the the 70s value did particularly well. Um, and if you were to weight your portfolio in the 70s and it's the early 80s and, and more towards value stocks, um, your performance was probably really good. Uh, and, and like you said, they don't not one has to go down for the other to go up or vice versa. It's just sometimes and for periods of time, one can do better than the other. And you know, if, if I break down just the last year, and, and this isn't exactly you know for 2000 and, uh, 2022, you know, if I look at growth, like growth over a year to date from today was down 26 percent. Well, value was only down three percent over the past year, so it actually protected pretty significantly. But if you look at that chart over a five-year period, well, growth actually is up 50 percent, while value is only up 30 percent. So they kind of go up and down together, but it just depends on which one outperforms more than the other. 70s value did well, 2010 and above growth did well. Uh, and it's just kind of trying to figure out where we're going to go for the next five to 10 years. Yeah, that's the thing. And and you and I fully admit, I mean, we don't pick markets. We don't pick stocks. Our, our general approach is, is buying and hedging. That's one of the flagship things. And uh, But there is some 
we think about dividends, I'll talk a little about you know some of the things we're doing there. One of the problems with value, though, if I was going to be a contrarian, I would say number one is this has been a widow maker for a lot of times, and really that's too strong a word. It's just it's underperformed for many years, and a lot of people who favor value have said it's got to come back, it's going to come back. This underperformance can't last, and it did. I mean, you pointed out we had that really really extended run where growth is above value. If I'm playing the contrarian here, I would say one of the issues with value approach, and not every value approach is the same, it's how assets are viewed. In other words, if you have a factory and you say, well, I build this factory, I have this factory, it creates a certain amount of return on invested capital, return on, on assets, and that's one of the measures. Well, some of the growth stocks, they don't have factories. They don't have a lot of this stuff. Right. I think it was Mark Mobison. Mark Mobison, he wrote, uh, uh, what was what was the name of the book? It will come to me in a second. But one of the, the points he makes in that book was that intangible things, intangible assets, things like the name, your in, intellectual property, uh, uh, patents, all these types of things. Like if you look at a company like Facebook or Meta now, they don't own factories but they do have intellectual property. They have different types of assets. And I, I think that's one of the things sometimes that the quote unquote old line value investors may be missed. They say, well, the ratios really say growth is overvalued, but maybe they're not taking everything into account. And I think there's obviously different striations within value as well, Mike. Uh, but I wonder too, there's, uh, I've mentioned it before on the show, if you look at Domino's and Google, and I haven't looked at it recently, but they both IPO'd essentially on the same day. And Domino's on a total return basis was up. And one of the theories that uh, Carlotta Perez and Technological Revolutions, uh, her book, is that you have these technical revolutions and a lot of companies fail there's a lot of money that goes to those companies, kind of like the, the tech boom in March of 2000. Companies fail, but the standards are, are set. And then you have all these old line companies who then leverage that technology. And I do wonder, right. I mean, we've, we haven't had, Mike, a real, I mean, maybe we have had a little bit more of a technical revolution, but this whole idea, I mean, companies using Zoom now, I mean, a, a chemical company or a company, company that makes bicycles, they can use Zoom and save money on travel. So I wonder if you've, you've done any work or thought anything about this whole idea of you have these periods where growth works, but then all of a sudden the value companies sort of leverage and, and get the, the rewards of all that techno technology, right? Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. And uh, first, I, I think the book you're talking about with Mark Bobison is Invest for Good. Is that the one? Uh, no, but that's another one. Oh, Inflation what, what is the name? I think is another one he mentioned. <laughs> no, that's not it either. That's not it either. We'll, we'll get to it. Uh, oh, I think well, it's expectations investing. I think that's the one. It's got like a blue cover. Okay. He's got a couple different ones, emerging markets and a few other ones. Yeah. So, um, but you know, back to your question is, you know, I, I think, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and I pulled up a chart here on a five year, uh, for Domino's and Google. And you know what's funny enough is their performance is the same. They both mm. performed about 60% over the past five years. Um, 
and you know if you look at the one year chart uh both down above 30. so um so they're kind of moving together it's interesting to look at these two and compare them um and i think you're absolutely right though is when you break down the different sectors of the market you know you're looking at we look at value sectors versus growth right the growth sectors are technology healthcare consumer discretionary consumer services and then the big value sectors are energy financials materials uh, consumer staples utility companies um industrials and even real estate falls in the value category so i, I think you're right because you have all these these growth companies and people aren't looking at factories or you know what kind of real estate do you own and, uh, or what kind of dividend do you give right they're just looking at growth multiples and you know is is this company growing at a very fast pace like google and meta and uh, apple and, and amazon all did for a really long time but you're absolutely right these value companies like verizon wireless or Domino's or some of the other uh, companies in the value space they are catching up. They are using the Zooms of the world, or maybe they're you know, using Teladoc for employees or something along those lines. So I think you're right. The value companies seem to catch up and benefit from the technology. Um, so tech and, and, and growth seem to be slowing a little bit right now, and the value companies just seem to be catching up. Well, I mean, we mentioned it too, or I teased it. I think if you look at the Russell 1000 value index, and I, I haven't looked at it in the last few days, I remember there's some some exchange traded funds, there's some mutual funds, value funds that are holding Meta now. And yeah, I mean Meta has come down, and and some of the ratios. And neither of us knows what's going to happen with with Meta or Amazon or any of these, but they start to fall into the the value screens. I do remember though too, after March of 2000, there was a lot of tech, and if you look at the time to a new high after that March. 2000, you know, tech sell-off. You had companies like Microsoft go a decade where they were sort of running in place for a while. So, but look, it, it's, this is why, you know, we don't try and pick winners and losers. We don't try and pick markets. And, you know, another area too that sort of, and if, you know, maybe you can talk too, Mike, about what you're seeing as far as uh, fund flows. I know we, we talk to different institutions and it seems like a lot of the money is going into this area, which I don't know if that's a contrarian thing to say, well, maybe they're going to be wrong, but what do you see in there? Yeah, that's that's a really good point. So you brought this up earlier uh, in the conversation around interest rates being low, and that really does benefit the growth companies, right? They have this huge opportunity to borrow cash for very cheap, right? And they can put that cash into their business and grow their companies and really you know get exponential growth uh because they're borrowing so cheap right so they have so much extra money or extra access to capital uh to increase the value of their companies well what you're seeing now and i think you're seeing this in fund flows is now that interest rates have started to rise and borrowing money is not as easy and it's not as cheap um, you're seeing kind of people shift away from the growth companies the high octane uh, heavy growth companies and say hey you know now that the interest rate environment is different, I know that some of these growth companies aren't going to be able to borrow, so they might not be able to grow as fast as they have been. But what is more of a steady growth, uh, more of a consistent growth as far as companies go? And I think you're seeing that more in the value market. And a lot of the value companies have higher dividends. So you know, not all growth companies have zero dividends. Some of them have dividends. 
But a lot of the value companies have dividends and they tend to be on the higher side. So I think what you're seeing fund flow wise is people are a little uncertain about the market. They're a little uncertain about interest rates. And what they're doing is saying, hey, if I go buy a value company that has a good factory or has multiple locate retail locations, you know, think about like a McDonald's or a Walmart, right? They have tons of locations and real estate. Um, they both pay dividends. Um, so people feel a little bit more secure saying, I don't know what's going to happen in this rising interest rate environment. Um, and I know that companies can't borrow from cheap anymore. But what I do know is that some of these value companies that have been around for a long time, and I feel comfortable with them, I know they're going to pay their dividend. And I know they have hard assets like a factory or you know, a real estate building, something like that. And what they're doing is they're saying, I'm more comfortable owning these value names, owning these dividend stocks. So I think if you look at the, the fund flows overall, you're seeing a lot of uh, uh, fund flows leave growth and head into value. Yeah, in some ways, it's a contrarian and might say, well, maybe it's time to buy growth, right? And I mean, that's the thing, too. When you buy the whole market, something like the S&P 500 or SPY, you're getting a lot of those companies. And one of the things we've seen, Mike, is that energy was kind of got down to a minuscule level as far as weighting in the S&P. But I mean, Meta might be out of the top 25. Exxon's back in. The I know they're probably in the top 15, if not the top 10. United Healthcare is number six or seven now. And so a lot of those those growthier companies were, were coming down. You mentioned dividends, though, and I think that's a good point to bring up. And I'll, I'll kind of transition to something I saw Bob Bassani talk about on CNBC. Uh, by the way, if, if you have questions about anything we talk about, Derek.more at ZegaFinancial.com. That's D-E-R-E-K dot M-O-R-E. Zega, Z is in zebra, E is in Eddie, G is in George, A is in Apple, financials up to you to spell correctly.com, uh, or even just show ideas or topics. A lot of times we bring those up. But yeah, Bob Pisani was on CNBC yesterday, and he said, he kind of threw out a stat that 40% of the returns, and I think that's what he meant, came from dividends. And so one of the things I did was I found, I said, I'm, I'm going to look this up. And the Hartford company put out a piece, it looks like since the 1940s, what they looked at, it's dividends contribution to total returns by decade. And since the 1940s through the end of 21, so this isn't updated through 22, 40% of the total return came from dividends. So what does that mean? That means that let's say your, the price return of the stocks alone was 5%. And let's say all those stocks paid a 5% dividend. You'd say, well, your total return is 10%. It works a little bit different than that with some of the math, but that's, that's kind of the idea. And you look at the 2020s, about 12% of the total return. The return's been really good since, uh, you know, from the 2020s. 12% of that through the end of 21, obviously it doesn't have 22 in here, came from dividends. So a low percent, 2010s. Another really good decade for stocks. Only 17% of that, the total return came from, from dividends, right? You get the price return wow. and then you get any capital that's paid out. The 2000s was the lost decade with dividends. I think dividends, you know, added about 1.8%, but you're still kind of flat. So what this doesn't do is it doesn't include buybacks. And we know that last 20, 30 years, companies buying back their shares 
it's not paying capital shareholders, but it is using, I mean, essentially you have net income from companies and let's say they take 80% or so of that net income and they either pay it out in dividends or they buy their own stock. Uh, there is a, something called a buyback yield because that is returning shareholders, uh, shareholder capital to the shareholders, just doing it in a different way. But you mentioned the 1970s earlier, the 1970s, the average annualized return through the 1970s was 5.8%. That's the annual total return. But then if you look at the contribution from dividends in that decade, 73% of the return came from dividends. So I think that's, it, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? We have no clue. But it is interesting that in a period like the 1970s, where you had flat-ish markets, most of the return came from dividends, Mike. Yeah, and I think there's, you're absolutely right. When there's flattish markets or flat periods, dividends tend to do very well, right? They, and I think that gives people security. They say, hey, you know, I don't know what the market's going to do. I think it might be flat. Um, and, you know, I'm just, I'm going to buy dividend stocks because I know I'm at least going to get my 2% or 3% or 4% dividend. I think that's what happened in the 70s. And that's what that kind of happened during the, um, the lost decade. And what's happened, and you mentioned this earlier about, you know, people kind of getting faked out or they've been wrong about the value shift over the past uh, 10 years or so. And this growth run just really lasted a long time. I mean, it, it lasted longer than anyone expected. Um, but what, when we started to see this shift was right around COVID, actually, in March 2020. Um, and, there, and there has been plenty of people over the past five or six years that were calling for value to do well. They all ended up being very early, right? And, and I think we're all early at times on some of our calls, or we could be a little late, but they were very early and they kept underperforming. But when COVID hit and we had the big market decline, you started to see value really start to pick up and get some steam behind it. Um, and that's really when we've started to see the shift. If you really break down the market over the past few years, we've really seen value do well. And even small cap value has actually led the way here since March 2000, uh, 2020, excuse me, since the March 2020 lows. We've seen value do well and small cap value really lead the way here. What's interesting about that period, too, is I, I, I may have mentioned on the podcast before, but I somebody said near near the bottom of the market, not that we knew it was the bottom, but we were in a discussion and somebody said, hey, if I really think this is a bottom, what would you buy? And I kind of joked around and say, well, you'd buy small cap value and you'd buy the junkiest bonds you could. And those two things, I mean, you know, definitely came out of that really well. I'm not telling you to buy those, by the way. <laughs> you know, that's, there's a lot of risk in there too. And there's problems with small caps and that how they, they look at the PE ratios and, and things like that. You know, the, the other part of this too, and, and I'll just mention, we do, I mean, a lot of, you know, buy and hedge is sort of the core thing we do. We have buffers, we do some different things and, and you can send me a note if you're interested in that, go to zegafinancial.com if you want to read up about that. But one of the, the strategies we sort of run too is, uh, you know, something called dividend plus. And it's the idea of companies are... We have these companies that are paying dividends and then we use some options where we sell calls, covered calls on those stocks. So it's the dividend plus theoretically the, uh, the premium that you receive. 
And it's this idea too that a lot of the companies that pay dividends have come down a little bit. Um, many people have heard of a strategy called the dogs of the Dow. This isn't exactly you know the, the exact thing that we're doing, but it's sort of dogish. It's stocks that have a little bit lower, a little higher dividend, and, and a stock has to be down to have a higher dividend, and then selling volatility on top of it. Now, look, I mean, we we don't know which of you know which factors. When I say factor value growth, they're going to do well in the future. But it is interesting right now just seeing the flows and a lot of things that were out of favor or in favor again. I will tell you too, Mike, sometimes the obvious thing doesn't work. I mean, you look at March of 2000 or even let's say the end of 21, if you would have said, hey, I think inflation is going to be really big. It's going to be really high. Well, you'd buy tips bonds and you'd buy gold and both, you know, tips were down. Down right, because they have duration, and gold was essentially flat. I mean, this is sometimes one of the reasons why we buy the whole market and we hedge it because you really don't know. But dividends certainly may have a place for for people's portfolios, and you know that that's something that uh, if you do have a flat market, and who knows, then you do get those dividends that come in. Mike, I, I want to ask you too. I feel like the other widowmaker that's been out there is emerging markets and international. I mean, I feel like it's been a really long time since international has outperformed the U.S. market. It's one of the reasons why we like the U.S. market. We like U.S. large caps uh, to hedge on that, hedge on something like the S&P 500. You have the diversity. But that's really a dollar story. Uh, it's partly a dollar story. But Mike, that's that's another sector I feel like Nobody really liked for a long time. I don't know if we're seeing flows into that, but that would be a dollar is going to weaken at the right. same time as those companies are still going to be okay. That's kind of like, I don't think there's going to be a recession, but the dollar is going to fall, right? Yeah. So that's a really good point. In, in the international markets, especially emerging markets have really lagged here, uh, right? The stronger dollars is, is, puts pressure on the emerging markets, um, even developed, right? I, I think if you look at the developed markets, they've lagged as well. I mean, there's a lot of issues going on, right? You've got the war in uh, uh, Ukraine, you've got uh, China with uh, production slowing down and kind of them just still getting over COVID. Remember, China's still going through the COVID uh, lockdowns. They just were released recently. So I think there, you got a lot of headwinds in the international markets, especially as the, the dollar gets stronger. And that's why gold, uh, and tips really uh, didn't do all that great last year. So, you know, I, I think in that space, too, you're starting to see more of a run towards value. I mean, if you look at the international uh, funds that you can invest in or strategies, you know, you're, you're seeing, again, big growth runs for the past decade or so. And people start to get a little more nervous, right? The war is making them nervous. The, the slowdown in development in China is making people a little bit more nervous, right? So what's happening is when people get nervous, they go towards that um, they kind of the more secure, uh, at least something that makes them feel more secure, right? And so dividends seem to make people feel a little bit better about their investments. Hey, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, so I'm going to sell my growth stocks or sell my international growth stocks or emerging market growth stocks, and I'm going to shift more to the dividends, more to the value-type plays. And I think that's what makes people feel a little more comfortable overall. That could have something to do with the shift as well. When I think about the classic, and by the way, we got to throw out the books on a lot of this stuff after the last couple of years we've been through. But when you look at 
I'll call them, you know, these four phases of a business cycle. You have this recovery, expansion, slowdown, and recession. And I, I still, look, I, when Jay and I did our, our predictions, I said, yeah, there'll be a recession. I don't think it's going to be that bad in 2023. Although I still say that when everyone says there's going to be a recession, everyone's not usually right. But let's, let's go with that for a second. In a recession, typically, healthcare, utilities, consumer staples do well. Slowdowns, you have consumer staples, energy, healthcare, materials, information, technology. If you go to the expansion, that's typically financials and industrials, information, technology, consumer discretionary. Consumer, consumer discretionary, if I can say that right, that's like, yeah, I, I'm going to go buy a speedboat. You know, that's, that's money that you, you're not buying toothpaste. And recovery phase typically is materials, financials, industrials, information, tech, and consumer discretionary. The point is that if you're getting recoveries or expansions, typically that's where you see the information technology be one of the uh, you know the leaders. Although still in a slowdown, information tech can can do okay. I'm not convinced we're going to have a recession. I have no clue. I really don't. And I just go by the fact that everyone says we are. I don't know when everyone's been right, but it it does stand to to reason that. You know, if there's actually going to be a, a recession, those may be some of the, the places that you wind up, or they may not. Uh, I mean, look, if energy, energy is a, is a sector that if we have a real slowdown, demand drops, we've seen what happens when demand drops before. But I don't know if you have any thoughts on, you know, those four different quadrants of the market. I mean, look, I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, information tech usually does better, not in recessions. Yeah, so you know, I think when you're you're absolutely right when you when you think about energy, right? Is that that is a, a value sector for sure? And if there is a recession or we experience some type of slowdown, you, you would think you know people are going to be traveling less, people are going to be flying on, on planes less, they're going to be you know not taking the the long vacations, things like that. So um, it could, that could hurt energy demand for sure. Um, you know, financials seem to do well, uh, especially with interest rates rising, right? We might see financials do particularly well there. And then, you know, healthcare, it, it seems to be doing doing good, doing good. And that's not a value area, right? You, you think healthcare might be a good place to go um, just because of the population, right? The, as the baby boomers get older, you know, they're going to need healthcare. So that's an area that's not a value uh, sector, but it, it it could do particularly well, uh, and then information technology, right? So that we're always going to need that, I think, and it continues to improve everything. Um, similar to what we talked about before, is a lot of the more staple companies or signature companies that have been around longer than these uh, tech companies and these new tech companies specifically, right? They're adopting some of that technology, so it kind of propels them forward as well. So, you know, I, I think whether we're in a recession or not. Um, or we're in a value phase or a growth phase, you know, time will tell. Uh, but as the information comes out, you know, we're going to be able to kind of determine, hey, where was the market last year and where did it go? Uh, and I, I think you'll just see, you'll see some surprises. Absolutely, right? We're not saying it values absolutely the place to invest in. Uh, maybe growth has a great run this year. But it just, when you look at the numbers and you break everything down, you can see that things are, are kind of shifting more in that value-oriented direction. Well, I'll let you know in a year. How's that, Mike? Whether <laughs> who's going to be the leader? That's that's always the thing. I tell you what. I mean, it's as long as I've been doing this, it's sometimes the obvious thing 
turns out to be the obvious, you know, the thing to do. And other times it's, it's not, I do want to transition for a second, by the way, we got some CPI data this morning. I think month over month was down 0.1%, I believe was the number. And I know we're still showing the year over year. It's going to be interesting because we've got this dichotomy of, of economic data where the labor market is still strong. We have CPI that is definitely slowing. And it's, I said it last, I think I said it last week. We look at GDP, we have a number, and then we essentially annualize the quarterly number. We don't necessarily report GDP of year over year, but CPI comes out of year over year. And then we look at month over month. And, you know, the market reacted at first, it went down. Maybe it was the, the hotter than expected, like less people were applying for unemployment or, or new jobless claims. But then the inflation data has been relatively muted. That can change. So we don't get a meeting till February 1st. We have another one in March. Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens with, with interest rates. But I, I still feel like Powell has said, you know, listen to me. We're going to raise rates. We're still going to do this. Uh, but so far, I mean, that I think today that softer data was welcome news for the market, Mike. Yeah, I did see the number, and and it it's definitely good news for the market in general. Um, you know, when you and I think that's why you see when you when you think about the growth and value story, some of them poked their head up higher than others at certain times. And even though a lot of investors are leaning towards value right now, well, this data is actually pretty good today for growth. So you've actually seen kind of a spike in growth uh, leading up to it, and then even in today. So you know, I think that's that's going to uh, give investors a little bit more long-term confidence. Hopefully, inflation is falling, right? It's going to help us all at the grocery store and the gas station and places like that. Um, but hopefully, it'll help the market in general. And I, I think as we get this more under control and inflation continues to uh, just subside, I think you'll see investors feel a lot more comfortable. Well, I think, uh, by the way, Derek.Moore at ZegaFinancial.com. You can send me an email if you want any information or ZegaFinancial.com, the website. Mike, uh, we always do, or I try and do a little bit of a recommendation towards the end of the show. Uh, you, do you have anything you're, uh, you want to recommend? Any movies, anything you, you've been looking at? Any TV shows? Any TV shows, recommendations. So, yeah, so I'm in the middle of the first season of White Lotus, um, and, uh, for TVs and as far as books goes, uh, Atomic Habits is the new book that I got. I haven't started reading it yet, but I'm looking forward to reading it, uh, over the next month. Is that really a recommendation? Are you, are you like, Hey, I have this book. I don't know if it's good, but I think you should get it. Like what type of recommendation is that? Mike? Hey, come on. <laughs> well, I think just like the markets, right. I'll, I'll tell you in a, in a month or I'll tell you in a year how the book was. So I'll give you feedback when I'm done. But I'll say, though, from from what I hear from the streets, is people are telling me that uh, those, those are a good show and a good book. So those were what I'm, I'm on to for January. I've seen I've seen both White Lotuses. Uh, I've finished both seasons. Uh, I won't ruin it for you or anybody else. Uh, <laughs> so, but it, it's it's a really interesting show, and HBO puts out, I mean, pretty good solid content. Uh, Succession is still when that, I think that comes back in March. That's still going to be my favorite. Atomic Habits, though. Yeah, I mean, everyone tells me about that. I do have a copy of it. I probably had a copy for a while. I just haven't read it yet. And at some point, I'll, I'll get around to it. I, It is interesting, though. 
and I think there's a lot of investment books. And I was talking to somebody recently who was asking me about investment books or trying to pick the right stocks and they were younger. And one of the things I told them was, you know, when you're younger, the biggest return or the biggest growth in your account is the money that you put in there. Like it's less important about sure. what you buy. Le- I mean, if somebody has, you know, let's say their first thousand dollars, you know, starting out, I mean, just pick a, pick an index fund that's broad. And, but the key is putting money into it. So uh, it's, it's, I think the reason I bring that up is somebody told me that atomic habits, it's, it's not focused on ah. investing, but it's sort of those little changes matter and, and successive habits. And I think that's, uh, that's good. But so yeah. my recommendation is I watched a movie called All Quiet on the Western Front. It is a World War I movie. If you like the movie 1917, uh, which is also a WW1 movie. It, it like the cinematography is incredible. It's on Netflix. So if you have Netflix, uh, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good movie, but you have to be I'll into have to that. Check it out. Yeah, the, those types of things. So, but yeah. All right, Mike. And then your your dolphins. Well, by the time this comes out, you probably will, they probably will have <laughs> lost already, right? I think you're playing quarterback. Yeah. This weekend. I, I, I know. So, uh, you know, I'll say this. I think this is the first time we made the playoffs since 2013, right? So mm-hmm. was the last time. So we're happy to be in the playoffs. I don't think we're going to make it very far, but it's great to have the Finns back in the playoffs. So I- I'm hoping to build on next year. That's my hope. I mean, look, uh, Tua Latoa, if he was healthy all season, when he was right, that offense was scary. That was a really dynamic team. And unfortunately, you know, it, it hasn't, hasn't worked out for him. So hopefully he, I don't know what his long-term status is. You know, we'll see what happens. Uh, And I I will tell you the New York giants, I think they're going to, they're going to win against Minnesota. And I'll be, I shouldn't even say this because by the time this is out, the game will have already been played, but I'm hopeful. (laughs) I'm hopeful they can beat Minnesota, but I don't think they have enough to go to the Super Bowl. We'll see. Mike, thanks for joining us today. Good to have you on. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have you back in the future. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Derek. Appreciate it.